So I just got back from my first grader's poetry cafe reading. Well, uh, you're going to have to say that again. My first grader, they've been learning about poetry, and they had a poetry cafe. I have videos. I'll text them to you. Oh, <laughs> but, yeah, please do. <laughs> I kid you not, they all wore black. Like, my son is wearing like a black Henley and dark jeans, and the girls all have their hair pulled back and things like this. And it's like Christmas light lighting, like very kind of dank. And it's like you're in a, you're, it's like you're at a, a beat poetry recital. And then these kids get up and say the poems that they've been writing themselves throughout the year. And they are awful. Gosh, it, it, it just, <laughs> it sounds like some well-meaning teacher was just watching TV one night and saw a poetry slam and said, you know, we could yeah. do this. For seven-year-olds, this can be awesome. It's great for them. They get, you know, public speaking stuff. And the parents don't care. It's adorable. It really is. It's age-appropriately adorable. It's adorable, but painful. Yeah, you have these two kids who are MCs, and they're the most extroverted kids. Mm -hmm. And they have rehearsed lines that they'll read. And so it'll be like, honestly, it could be a Saturday Night Live skit. It's like, next up we have Bobby, who's going to read a wonderful poem about his cat. <laughs> And then he gets up there and like his mouth is over the mic, like, oh, like, the, like half screaming it, like, I love my cat. My cat is great. And this whole thing. If it were deadpan, it would be hilarious, but it's not. So I, I can't laugh. But he goes and sits down and then the girl gets up. Wow. Great job. That was amazing. Next up we have, and it just keeps going. <laughs> but. I mean, just there are so many unintentionally hilarious moments that I wanted to laugh at, but I would be ridiculing a young child, so I refrained. That's just really surreal. I mean, it's the kind of thing that's in movies, and and you just but you just don't know what it's like to you to you see it. Uh, no. Yet you're, I was just thinking Saturday Night Live because they did that not not too long ago. In, in the past six months or so, they they did a sort of a high school theater and it was just really funny to see these <laughs> very talented people pretending to be very awkward teenagers so like you said like we're so excited to present and kind of talking off mic and one stumbling around and yeah it's hilarious there's a really good christmas snl thing that always comes back up every christmas time it's pretending like the christmas eve only attenders th that you know it's kind of like a, an advertisement for them and it's like come and see little Timmy who has to do a scripture reading and totally does not want to. And it's, he just kind of goes, we're reading from all to the Corinthians. And he like mumbles it. And then it's like, the next one is, and from Mrs. Rosie, a lady who really, really wants to do the reading. Oh, yeah. She gets up. She's like, a reading from Paul to the Corinthians. It's like this overly dramatic. So we didn't have any overly dramatic folks at the first grade poetry slam. Right. But, it takes an adult, really. You know what's weird? I don't know if this is a thing about poetry. I'm not up on poetry, but there were kids who were, like, unintentionally, like, really good. They had, like, a good alliteration, or they just had a way of phrasing something, and you're like, ooh, that's really nice. Even just something simple, like about their cat or about their mom. It was just amazing. It's like, you could stumble into pretty good poetry huh. sometimes. Uh -huh. But, I mean, they may not realize that that's what they had done. But some of them actually, <laughs> most of no, 99% of them were awful. It right, just, right. It's sort of like bowling. I mean, you really can just never play, never bowled, walk up, roll the ball, and get a strike. Yeah, like, true. I mean, it yeah, could happen, true. and it does. Yeah, and there are very few fields that, that do that. I mean, you're not going to go up on, you know, any, any, no sport is going to be like that. I'm not going to go up and strike someone out if I've never threw a ball. Mm -hmm. But it was just, anyway, it was just interesting. It, you know, most of them, though, were like, 
My brother. He hits me. He pulls my hair. He is mean. My brother. Oh gosh. It's like not even a good haiku, you know. That's that's really funny. Uh they didn't they did not like me booing in the back, I will say that. Mm. <laughs> and leaving after your kid was done. Boo. Yeah, that's right. I'm out of here. Just be like the yeah, the not the uh the dancing parents or the the sport fanatic parents, but the my kid in school parents. Like mm. double standing O from mom and dad in the back. Triple actually you know what was actually one of the funnier parts is they said hold your applause at the end. And we had to do finger clapping, it's like this, the the kind of like snapping your fingers together. Like you don't hear anything, but it's like I have never so the seen kids, that. You never seen this? It's so that the the person doesn't have to be met with a wall of stone faced people and wonder if they just did bad. Hmm. And so they people do like these little hand gestures where they just like tap their two fingers together, or they they do like this with two fingers in each hand and it looks like clapping so they see something I, uh, but you don't hear it i think this is a florida thing I don't, i'm not familiar with this technique no i've seen this a lot sororities in college the the girls were told it was it was an interruption to always clap so they would snap okay They'd actually snap their fingers instead of clap things like you see this occasionally this this idea of don't interrupt the flow by right by because you have to wait for the applause to stop and then it becomes the one-upmanship of parents yeah. you know well, they did it louder than me, you know. I always feel that way at graduation. I was just thinking about graduation, <laughs> yep. Somebody gets the three-minute standing O from every generation of family alive. Next person gets a, yep. and, and it is the problem with the clapping, that if people start clapping and you've got hundreds of names to read, it, it's just going to take forever. I mean, it, it's it's three seconds times, you know, all that. It's just drags and drags. So, um, yeah, graduation and, and, and parents wanting to one up each other and but sometimes you see the graduate is kind of embarrassed you're like you get the sense they kind of wish their family yeah. wasn't like that and others are eating it up and the worst i ever saw was at a college i forget where but like the dean who was reading the names within reason he would let you do some stuff but at one point it was just they had foghorns everything mm-hmm. and it was like a full full minute mm-hmm. and finally he just goes shut up like into the mic and uh you know, I don't know if later at the Olive Garden, if the family was happy with themselves, but it happened. It seemed awesome at the time. The, yeah. Well, and I feel for parents having sat through many graduations. It's uh, two, three hours, and it's kind of, and if oh, at, yeah. uh, at, at Pfeiffer, they're sitting on the bleachers, so you don't have any back support. It's in the gym. And um, yeah. Well, imagine being faculty and you have to do it every year. Yes. I mean, at least at least when it's your kid or someone in your family, you're like, okay, I'm here for them. And and the but, and the robes are cool, but they are designed for medieval uh, European medieval weather um, yeah. when they had no central heat. And you walk, you're sitting in those things and sitting in the chair. Yep, and hearing another speech. And I have the Cambridge hat. I have the Tudor hat. Did you get that? I did. I think it's tec- yeah. technically a bonnet. Yeah, a bonnet. But for those of you who don't know, you can get the kind of mortise board hat through Cambridge. Uh, you can make the choice, or you go with the more traditional, and everyone does because. Is the actual one that they used to wear. It looks like the hat that's on Henry VIII's mm-hmm. head. It's very Tudor. All those pictures. The, yeah, it's like a Stevie Ray Vaughan brim, like this big brim that goes around your entire head, and then like a foofy top. It's it's very cute. But I get made fun of it constantly. It's like, right. oh. It's very right. Harry Potter or something. Yeah, yeah. You do look like Dumbledore a little bit. Yeah. and But it's also not very comfortable. It's not, the, it's not uh-uh. the most comfortable of hats. My experience is you absolutely love and respect and like all the students from your school that are graduating, particularly the ones you've had in class, which in my case is everybody because 
They have to go through my classes to graduate. <laughs> so you have this like, whoa, they're already graduating feel. Then mm-hmm. I'm so excited for them and look how far they've come. But I'm also like, not my family, not my family. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're like, I'm sweaty and this is long. Um, and thankfully, I, now I've, I've done the one at the main campus where it's much, much longer because of the names. Down here, it's not as long. It's about an hour, hour and a half, but still. Yeah. It's, Every, every year it, it, it can it can great yeah it, it's a tough ordeal I mean it's, it is fun to see the students and you are proud of them and it's fun to see them afterwards but it, it is a it's a bit of half a day and I'm usually pretty grumpy afterwards because um you're sort of hungry and you, and the chair's not comfortable and you're hot and you're sitting there and it just yeah it just goes on and on and so it, it's tough um, but it's also a real honor and it's fun so oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely a mixed mixed bag the weird bit is I had taught at one point some of the intro to college class that we have. I mean, a lot of schools have it sort of a, yeah. uh, and so it's weird seeing them graduate and you're like, gosh, I remember when they were just fresh off the boat and, you know, didn't know where the cafeteria was. So that has become, I've done that like three cycles now where like half the graduating class, I'm, I'm still thinking of them as the new ones Mm -hmm. and like, whoa, no, they've been there three, four years. So. Well, speaking of academic life, Segway bell, ding, ding, ding. One of the interesting bits is getting into all the committees and all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And I don't know about your experience, but that that was really weird to me. There's a whole language, there's a whole rhythm and dance, and um, and you're sort of caught as new faculty. You you feel kind of dumb because you don't know what they're talking about, and. Yeah. Uh, and you, you wonder why they do it a certain way. And then after a couple of years being at an institution, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. It starts to click. And it, it's weird because it is a couple of years. And even the, the handbook may not even tell you everything about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're, yeah, they're, they're acronym, acronyms, abbreviations, slang, jargon, all this stuff. And then you're on certain committees and or all, even just regular faculty meetings. And you don't know what you're doing there. Like it's like suddenly, no one told you about this. I'm sure this is true in church life. You know where you're suddenly in an elder meeting or a budget meeting, and you're like, "I thought I was mainly just doing sermons and uh, hanging out with." (laughs) No, this is this is the business side, and the faculty meeting is more like the business side. But it's funny because the the only thing people really think about is well, faculty they research, they write, they teach, right? That's what they do, but. Yeah, they look I and mean, they say, "Oh, four office hours a week and four yeah, classes," it, and they think they oh. think you're at home watching Netflix most yeah, days. Yeah, yeah, that's ten hours, so you're done. Yeah, done at ten. Yeah, done after ten. Yeah, uh, but the but faculty meetings and committees and all these other things take up actually a lot of your time. If it's not the actual meeting itself, it's the prep for it. You get these these dossiers you have to read through, uh, these proposals for different things. And my experience was. I had no idea what we were doing there because suddenly everything's in ro- like more like Robert's rules. You know, you have motions to close the discussion and these things. And I'm like, half of you guys would never stop talking. Yeah. If yeah. We'd, if we yeah, didn't, and, I realized. Well, and that is that is the problem. And it, you're right to connect it with church. That bunch of faculty is like a bunch of preachers. They're uh, they're paid to talk, and so they yeah. can just if you don't put a keep a leash on them, they will just go forever about you know a gerund or a. Bible verse, they can just go really yeah. deep, and you're like, guys, guys, it's eleven thirty. Yeah, I'm, let's go eat. I, I remember <laughs> this is this is not. Uh, I'm not gonna say what this is about. It wasn't a big deal, 
But I remember we had an hour-long debate, and it was a debate. There were all kinds of negative opinions, positive back and forths. And uh, finally, some, finally someone goes, all right, call the question. Let's just close it up. Let's do the vote. It was unanimous in favor. <laughs> so we'd, you would have thought it was, you know, nail-biter, you know, 51 to 49%. It was, <laughs> we just... We just wanted to get that off our chest, and then we all said yes. Right. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes that's that people just want to make sure that they heard their opposition, but they're still supportive. I think probably the the hardest thing for me was, so I've been here almost exactly seven years. The hardest thing for the first probably five, maybe four, was if I have something to say, should I say it? Like, right. I'm the brand new person. I still don't halfway know what I'm doing. But I think I have something that might help here, and that. I, but I felt very uncomfortable. Like, like, do I say something or not? But you do want to seem engaged. They they don't want to think, oh, the new people they don't care. So you want yeah. to look, you want to participate. But yeah, you you don't understand the issues. And sometimes it's a lot of politics that this department has a long standing grievance with that department. And like church, it could be that you know the choir is gets there's certain things that makes the choir mad. And uh, there's just a history yeah. of irritation. And if you're not careful, you walk into that minefield. And you're like, what? Yoga ought to, you know, you sort of jump into yeah. it. And you don't understand when you get caught in the crossfire. No, yeah. People have, have said for a while that, oh, there's politics. Well, I think I just realized politics is probably the wrong word. It's more just there are, you know, frictions. Yeah. When you work with anybody, it's almost like siblings in a way. Grievances, old grievances. Yeah. Or you're worried about something and... Um, the, the, the only challenge I ever experienced in politics was, yeah, like you said, knowing, okay, this faction and that faction are concerned about, diff concerned about the same thing, maybe in different ways, or maybe there was one blowhard 10 years ago that really kind of ruined the relationship and they're trying to get beyond it, but there's still a lot of mistrust, little things like that. And all I found for politics was just don't try to get in between that. I mean, if, mm -hmm. if you know, two, two folks are not happy, don't try to be the, the, the person that, that they, they, one side or the other blames for the thing. And by and large, I've, I mean, I've, I've thankfully been here long enough. I've seen old grievances go away. I've seen other relational frictions come up here and there. None of it's really all that, like I said, none of it's really all that different from what you'll have in every work environment. I don't think. No, uh, I think maybe the difference is that faculty tend to stay, especially with True. some places having tenure or something like tenure, that um, you do kind of get older grievances. And, and I guess there's a lot of traditions, whereas at, a, I mean, a, IBM or a company, there's people that stay, there's culture, there's tradition, all that's true, but it just seems like it's magnified, yeah. both in um, colleges and universities, academics, but also in church, and, and that you form an attachment to the building. And it's easy yeah, to make fun yeah. of people caring about their pew, but as someone who's sitting in a pew on many Sundays, like you do form a bond over years. You're like, I sat yeah. in this pew with my kids and and I see how that happens in university. Like we used to, you know, we used yeah. to teach this course and it was really good and then they got rid of it. And you get these yeah. sort of frictions that No, I think that's that's something my school as a whole is experiencing. Not so much in a bad way, but We've had, we have still faculty that have been here since we were refounded in the 70s. You know, they've been on the faculty longer than I've been alive. We also have faculty like me that are much younger. 
And it's always that dance of they they do want us there. They want to hear what is Twitter <laughs> kind yeah. of a it, it, but it feels like a, it's not one generation of separation it's two and it could be a challenge. So, you know, it's very hard to be a, a, a colleague when some of your other faculty have grandkids just about your age. Right. Uh, that could be a challenge. That's this relationship challenge. Right. You know, it's 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 knowing how to not. I mean, yeah, it's it's knowing how to how to speak appropriately with them. It is, and and most of them, uh, everybody wants to be heard, and most of the more senior faculty want to be heard. But they're also they've done a lot of these the scut work that's required. That's right. And they kind of want to pass it off, but they also want to make sure you do it right. And so there is kind of threading the needle of of willing to make the changes that are probably smart without just burning everything down. So it's, it's always a bit of a dance. I got to um, chair the curriculum board, undergraduate curriculum board last year at Pfeiffer. And uh, that was really interesting because the fall, it was really easy. It was basically just uh, shepherding. It was like, just sort of like, here's a proposal, guys. And I sat there thinking, this is all right. This isn't bad. Yeah. But of course, the yeah. problem is it all hits the fan in the spring because everybody wants to get the changes to the catalog before the summer for the next year. And so all of a sudden it's all coming in and it's pretty surreal because we're getting a proposal. We're starting a physician's assistant program. Well, I can't evaluate that proposal. I mean, you know, what do I know about that field? So we're kind of bringing in stuff and approving stuff as a faculty that we just kind of have to trust. If they say this is a you know, standard course, we're like, uh, I guess so. I guess you would learn anatomy. It's just very odd. And yet the system requires that it be approved by the faculty. So, No, that's very true. Very, very weird. Yeah, there, there's a lot of trust. That I, that's what I've basically figured out is true in a lot of things is by the time it reaches the big meeting, it needs to have already been, I, I think politics works, it's actual, actual government. It, you just trust that the subcommittee has done their homework so that if they recommend it, no one's really going to go after it. Yeah. It's going to be like, okay, let's just tell us why. Okay, fine. It's been vetted yeah. and kind of sold. I mean, you do have to sell it to people. You have to con- show them this is why, this is why we're doing it. This makes sense. This is the benefit. Yeah. So, so what, what that means I've, I've learned is that probably the most important job of the big meeting is to elect who goes on what subcommittee mm-hmm. because you, you get the kind of majority opinion you make sure that it's uh, a cross cut of all the different voices or in our case campuses you, you make sure it's not just a like a junta of three people that always make all the decisions that kind of stuff but at the end of the day you have to trust the subcommittee the biggest thing for me that i i probably was unaware of is there is a weird formality though the same people that are around the coffee pot are yucking it up being normal like silly um, you know, at those at the bigger meetings, they usually get very straight backed. Okay, let's talk. You know, huh. they they want to follow the rules, and I think the instinct of every, in my case, when I started, early thirty year old was this is stupid. You know, the, I was basically Beavis and Butthead in the back, like, mm-hmm. why are we? What's what do you mean call to order? What's the point of information? Lol. <laughs> this is all just my my dumb idiotic ideas in my head. So I'm thinking, like, let's just talk normal, guys. Like, let's yeah. let's work it out. It's kind of, there's kind but, of an arrogance to youth. You're like, oh, we don't need all this. But at the end of the day, I think what I've learned, having had been a boss, having been a boss, I should say, for about six years, is there are people that if you just kind of go that freeform style, won't ever say anything. But if you give them a chance to put it in writing, form their thoughts slowly, and then say, here's why I have a challenge with this, 
then they'll actually make good contributions. But if you just kind of riff like at the wild, wild west in a meeting, they'll feel like they're getting run over sometimes. Or, you know, there's lots of different personality types. So I've just realized how much that formality is a good thing, I guess is the word. Yeah. Something in history that this just popped in my head is that one of the things about the early history of both Baptists and Methodists were that they were among the first in the new world to capitalize on that need for a voice and structure that allows people to know when a town hall, so to speak, is being held. A joke a, a Methodist friend locally here said one time is that a Methodist church is a church that calls a meeting to tell you that there's a meeting about the meeting when that meeting will be. Uh, mm -hmm. And he, he just died laughing at that joke because he just said that's there's there's a lot of we're going to make sure everyone knows when that the 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 real official time to talk is. Anyway, it's just interesting. Giving people opportunity for voice is not just, hey, what do you guys think? Because that, that's good for me, but it's not good for everybody else. Yeah, I'm actually a big fan of Robert's Rules of Order because I did some studying on it because I didn't know what was happening. And I was like, I don't like just, you know, I want to know Where why. did it come from? I actually don't know. So I was looking at this. I'd heard, so this guy, it's, uh, and this is good old Wikipedia, but Robert was actually a real person. Um, unlike, say, Shakespeare or something who, you know, never existed. I'm joking, <laughs> you know, sort of like we are not sure if there is a Q, a Q document or not. Uh, no, there was a Henry Martin Robert, uh, and he published this manual in 1876. He'd come out of the military, but he actually developed this based on the United States House of Representatives and also church meetings. So that's really interesting, as you mentioned, like it came out of an interest in parliamentary procedure. But I was sitting in well, I'd seen some of this actually with Methodists at annual conference, the parliamentary procedure of Robert's Rules, and I had also seen it a bit at Baptist churches, but then at Pfeiffer, and I thought, I don't understand it. So I got Robert's Rules for Dummies, which is a great little book. It um, It's funny, and it's clear, and and it's interesting how many people, they do the Robert's Rules that they've seen on TV or they saw someone else do, but they don't actually look at the rules. And the rules are actually, it can get a little technical, but it's a pretty clear ethic that the majority always wins, but the minority has a right to be heard. So it's kind of like you said, it's huh. encouraging everybody to be at the table, but ultimately majority wins because, I mean, that's in the best interests of the, I guess it's very utilitarian, the greatest good for the greatest number. Uh, but the, but you still get to be heard and you get to at least try to make an amendment or change or vote something down. And once you get that, as well as the interest of the majority is interested. So there's a type of motion is called an incidental motion. And it's basically saying, hey, this room's too hot. So if you're considering oh. a motion and it's been seconded and then there's an amendment, but someone raises their hand and says, this room is too hot, you got to deal with the incidental motion. But it makes perfect sense oh. because the needs of majority, if everybody, if it's 100 degrees and people are passing out, if they vote, we're going to move to another room or we're ending the meeting because it, it's too hot, that gets precedence. And that's like, okay, that makes oh. actually a lot of sense that, the, yeah, really you know, does. once you start looking at that, it unlocks everything and you're like, this is kind of cool. So um, you'll see in meetings, people, if someone says call for the vote, people think you have to vote immediately, but 
Robert's rules. Uh, uh-uh, you got to vote on that because majority you wins. Vote on the, yeah, you can't you have vote a, on the vote. You, yeah, you, and you do, but it makes sense because otherwise you could have one sort of tyrant like let's just vote, and that guy doesn't get to decide what the group does. So, yeah, you know, call the vote, raise your hands to vote, and if people don't want to vote, then you keep talking. So yeah, there's kind of a beauty to it that um, it can get arcane, but it's also a pretty simple idea of just the majority wins um, and we proceed by that, but we do listen to people do get to raise their hand and speak up and, until it's gone on for too long, you know, like you said. Yeah. Until at that point, it's like, all right, stop. It's like, yeah, we're going for lunch. Let's vote on lunch. All right. All in favor. All in favor. Yes. It's nine 30. Majority wins. <laughs> I'm getting a taco. It's funny that just try to describe it because I mean, again, this is the stuff uh, it's true at church and everything else. But it's the stuff that no one teaches you about. Mm-hmm. It just, it's not, it doesn't come up. And there are little things like this that, that matter. You know, you want to make sure that you don't put your foot in your mouth. In fact, I, I think I was, we, we were chatting about it before, but the, the two probably, mo- for me, most cringy moments are, I'd probably say the, the older person who is so used to having their voice heard. I'm thinking of a church context at this point. This happened recently. Someone is so used to their voice being heard about everything that they get up and they think that they just it's their t- it's their job to talk. They talk out of order. They'll talk for twenty minutes mm-hmm. and they should talk for two. They'll talk about Twitter when they've never even seen it. You know, mm-hmm. they, they have the, they just they're the I have something to say about this and I've earned the right that and, and, and then is also the, I no longer how I no longer know how to summarize. Right, exactly. <laughs> just going to tell you everything. On the other end of the spectrum is the. Hey, I've been here for five minutes, and th- this was another church context I'm thinking of. But someone to say, like, they literally just finished the process of being voted in for something. And immediately it's, they're having a meeting about something they had talked about at the previous meeting, which this person was not at. Right. And yet this person weighs in like, well, uh, come to think of it, I think here's a better idea. And it's just going, bro, like, this is not the time. Don't do that. Yeah, that's that's the minefield. Like you, you walking into a hole, big. You don't know what you're doing. Yeah, I think in the end, though, a lot of it. This is again true of lots of walks of life. I think we lost something when coming out of the medieval and early modern world. We we left a guild system, which used to train you in what was appropriate. Mm-hmm. Like you always had a mentor. In fact, when we say masterpiece today, we actually mean it. The opposite of what it used to be used to mean. Hmm. A masterpiece was a piece that you would make within a guild that would allow you to move from apprentice or yeoman up to the the master status, which means you could open a shop. What's ironic about that is the masterpiece in the Middle Ages, you were almost required not to try to outdo your betters, the the olders. So if you actually huh. did a masterpiece, in, like let's say you know again some kind of craftsmanship. If you just whip everybody, they're actually going to get very mad at you because your masterpiece should just be just good enough to become a master. And so we use it differently today. But all to say, yeah, you used to know at the at certain breakpoints when you've earned the right to speak, earned the right to lead, all that type of stuff. Now it's so I think it's a, so much more ephemeral. Like we're just like, ah, eh, I, I have I have influence. That's not you can't measure influence in, in that way. You don't. You just. So you almost just have to find. In my case, I did this a few times. Uh, an older faculty member and just ask them advice. Like, hey, is this something everyone should should really weigh in? Like, like, 
help me understand when I should should shut up and listen when I should try to talk. Uh-huh. And they would usually be very, very helpful at that. Yeah, that's great to have a guide because you don't know where the minds are. And, and if you start jumping in, you don't know who you're going to offend or what eggs you're going to break. And so having someone to guide you makes perfect sense. And also just spending a year or two just quietly observing because sometimes things that seem crazy, you start to understand it how it got there and it might actually be better than the alternative. Um, and, yeah. and so you kind of have to watch it. And I've seen that with pastors too, that, you know, you, you have a certain capital when you come in as the new pastor, but if you change too much, you know, you, you, so you might wait and you might realize, okay, this is why they do the offer tour here because the yeah. choir has to transition or move or the ushers need this. Like it's real easy to start changing things, but you may realize how things developed and think, well, you know, that's all right. I'm going to, I'm going to let this, let the sleeping dog lie. Um, yeah. No, I had a, pr- a practical theology professor who used to say, if you're brand new to the job and you're now the, the, the main boss, uh, maybe senior pastor, he used to always say, and you had 12 months. He says, in 12 months, change one medium or noticeably small thing, like something that's always done. Like he, he said, I don't care if it's move the seats in a slightly better arrangement. He says, change one thing. Hmm. And he said, and change nothing else for 12 months. Mm-hmm. He said, there's, a, there's something called change management. He said, if you come in and you try to overdo that, you will, you will get, they may not get rid of you immediately, but you will needlessly develop grievances against you and you won't even know it he said but don't also come in and do the well i'm just here to keep the status quo because then when you try to change things a year later yeah it'll feel like you know you're you're making up for lost time i thought that was pretty good advice that is good and you're right that it is it is more ephemeral and it's kind of a it's almost an aesthetic like you have to sort of sense when when you have the authority to make a change and um and i, I could sense some of that at pfeiffer that we're small enough. We've got about 90 total faculty that people need a, a, a couple of years just to get to know you. So at first, you're just the new guy. But once they get to know you and they know that you're not crazy, haha, fool them. But um, <laughs> uh, once they have a sense that they can trust you, then you, you things shift and you are kind of put on a committee. Or people want to see you do things. Um, I've seen some faculty start at Pfeiffer, and they were annoyed they didn't get on a committee after a year or two. I'm like, it's because they don't know you. you. They gotta. It's a weird profession. Yeah. Like, you could be almost forty, uh, or even over forty. You could be here someplace for three years, two, three years, and it still feels like you're in your first week. Yes. Yeah. And p- part of it's the Hollywoodization. You know, you know the the maverick who shows up at the office or the law firm, and within a week is. Yes, you know, knocking heads together like that. That just never happens, at least not in that way. I Maybe. Mean, well, I take that back. It might happen in in some jobs. You know, I, I, I have friends in the military. I'm sure at some point you just arrive and by your station, by your appointment, your people listen mm-hmm. to what you say. You're the sergeant or whatever. But not in ours. It, mm-hmm. It's just so funny because you could be. I mean, literally, I could be 50 right now, and I'd still be like. 20 plus years from our senior faculty's age. But in every other industry, 50 is like, well, you're getting kind of close to over the hill. And (laughs) it's just, it's a strange environment. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I guess part of it is uh, going to school that long, you really don't get started till later 20s at the earliest. And it may be 30s, 40s, a lot of people going back to school. 
Um, so you're really getting out and, and trying to get that experience. And, and there's a lot of traditions around school. So yeah, they, um, you know, so-and-so has chaired this committee for 10 years and we just let him keep chairing it just because. And part of it's almost like a small town feel that they got to get to know you and this is what so-and-so likes to do. So it all becomes a bit like Mayberry, you know, like this is, this is Barney Fife's job. And you're like, oh, all right. I'm I'm actually thinking in my head of a Simpsons episode. Oh yeah, the Fra- have you seen the Frank Grimes episode? Yes, uh, it's like this this self made man, and Mr. Burns is like, so Smithers, get that man. I want to make him VP over all of the plant, and then like a cut scene, and then Frank Grimes is being let in, and uh, Mr. Burns is watching TV again, and this time it's about a dog who saves someone from like a burning house, and he's like, Smithers, get that dog. I want to make him VP over the entire plant. <laughs> And it's a perfect setup because about 10 minutes later, Smith- or, uh, Mr. Burns rather is just walking through the plant with a dog that has one of those like <laughs> like blankets, like sweaters over him that just says VP on the side. <laughs> he just likes that dog. And he just barks at things. Harf, harf. But, but Frank Grimes is the one that gets him mad at Homer, right? Because he can't understand how yeah. Homer has what he has and he just ends up going apoplectic. Yeah. Yeah. And he, really he, he kills himself in the end by accident. Yeah. <laughs> Look at me! And he grabs like these these live electrical wires, and uh, yeah, that's no, a it's a brilliant episode. But the it's just dog like he's a VP. Woof. I I think it's a different episode. But what about the one where um, Homer gets like a hair regrowth formula, and he has a full head of hair, and all of a sudden Mr. Burns is like, "Who is that strapping young man?" And he gets Homer gets he's promoted. So almost like yeah, his all of his problems were. Result of the fact that he was bald and no one respected him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, I, I did not like that. I, I, I did not like that episode. It, it too close to home. Yeah, I know, yeah. I know, I know. But I do, I do see older guys. I'm like, wow, he's got that's impressive head of hair, man. How did you, did you jerk? Like, yeah, that guy's going places. Yeah, yeah. Poor old Homer. Any movies you excited about? Black Panther's coming out. My kids are really excited about that. Black Panther looks great. I, I think they're really doing that right. Yeah, surprisingly all black cast. Yeah, the, and the point of the Wakanda story in Marvel was usually an inter-Africa storyline. Mm-hmm. So it looks like I think that's what's going on here is, just judging by the trailer, is there's a rival within uh, either a neighboring country or within Wakanda itself, rather than always transplanting something from the the wider world into this is what's happening in uh, Africa. Right, right. Uh, in Wakanda. So it, it's kind of like the Spider-Man movie where you're there, there's tips of the hat. They're aware of the wider plots of the Marvel Universe. Like Iron Man shows up a few times. But it's not about that. It's about its right. own story within its own own world, its own bad guys. So I think that looks really, really good. And the guy who plays uh, Black Panther mm-hmm. from the... Captain America movie. He did a really good job. Yeah, he's great. He's great. It seems like I looked him up and he's actually American. He's just doing yes. an African accent. Someone said it's not, I, I'm horrible at placing accents, but it's it's not, there's, there is no country in Africa that speaks that way. It's kind of a blend, right. uh, I've been told, huh. that a dialect coach wanted it not to be read as an allegory of Nigeria or something. So they, mm-hmm. they anyway, they blended different styles of African dialects. I remember in the comics, I was always a bit confused that there was this hidden country that everyone knew about. So I'm, I'm wondering if this will make more sense to me. Because as a kid, I'm like, wait, he's from there, but no one knows it's there. Like, how does that yeah. work exactly? 
Is it like the yeah. old Batman TV show where remember the um, look like a cave and it just dropped down and he drove to his bat yeah. cave? It's like how how is how do you hide a country? But it may be with high technology they'll have a way that it's hidden. So yeah, it, part of it is it, they they do this in the the Captain America movie. Part of it is their own. They are technologically more advanced than the rest of the world, and they they shield themselves. They hide it. Right. So it, it's part of it's that I, I I seem to recall reading that. A piece of it is that obviously the name Black Panther in American history has political overtones, and they were certainly touching it on that because I think it was created in the seventies. I think so. But they also wanted to detach it from just merely being a social cause. So the Luke Cage character had trouble getting breaking out of the black guy in Harlem in the seventies with unbreakable skin fighting the challenges of the day. They felt like it he, that the Luke Cage character got a little too pinned into only Harlem. So right. he couldn't do anything <laughs> anywhere else in the world. So they did, there was some move of like, okay, we need to make this character, Black Panther, be able to be omnipresent in other plot lines. Huh, uh-huh. uh, if, if we want to put him in this line, then we can. So it was an, an interesting move, yeah. Yeah, well, Luke Cage has this sort of black exploitation look. I mean, he's got that 70s look and the chain and the yeah. open shirt. So I can see, yeah, you, you can't put him on the West Coast Avengers, for example. He's just going to look right, really weird. Right. But Black Panther's costume, like he can go wherever uh, Which is interesting. If you can watch the Luke Cage Netflix show, they they do a good job of updating yeah, that yeah. M- that mythology. So it is about Harlem. It's about right now, but it's also about East Coast America. It's he's not going to you know go fight something in Europe. Right, right. Yeah, he's very much a local hero. Um, did you watch Punisher? I did not. I did not. I want to because that's that's all in that those those same TV shows. Have you? I have, and. Um you know, I had a weird epiphany watching it. I really, really liked it at the time, but later I just felt kind of gross, and I only—I don't remember much because you just get into that kind of binge mode, and it made me realize I, I need to step back from the Netflix mania. That—that that there's, you don't know what's worth watching, but there's—it's probably less than we think. So I want to watch the things that stay with me. Well, and Punisher is the Breaking Bad of Marvel. I mean, it's the. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be, okay, I, w- I, I wouldn't do that myself, but I totally understand why he is. You know, like his whole family gets killed. I mean, it's just a horrible story. And then you're supposed to then go, all right, yeah, shoot that guy in the head, <laughs> which is not a good response. Yeah. Su- surprisingly, one of the movies I'm, I want to see, which is coming out soon, is Deadpool 2. Right. Just because I, I like the, I mean, it's going to be rated R, but I like the <laughs> breaking the fourth wall jokes. And I do think... What's the character? Uh, who's the actor, rather? The guy was in Green Lantern. Uh, uh, what's his Ryan, name? Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, uh, Ryan Reynolds. I think Ryan Reynolds will do it very, very, very well. I mean, even the, 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 the trailer commercial that came out, I mean, <laughs> they were just making fun of... Making fun of itself while referencing itself while still being a movie that advances a plot is is a really hard thing to do. So I, I think... Yeah, yeah. Fun. And that, that's getting to... So that my criterion of I want things that are memorable. And I, I remember Deadpool. It stays with me because, like you said, it's kind of... It's sort of meta. It's sort of self-parodying and self-aware. And um, and Punisher is good. And I love the performance and the the plot line. There's a lot of really smart things in it. But it also, you know, it's just it just like I felt a little bit like after eating a bag of Oreos. You just kind of, you know, you just <laughs> sort of feel like, what did I do? So I felt good starting that out, but not when I finished. Yeah, it, it seemed like a good decision. And and I had a similar bit with the Luke Cage that uh, TV show. 
I thought it went a little too long. Um, like Punisher, yeah. if they'd cut about three episodes out, it would have been really good. But it just seems like it goes on and on. And um, There's one episode of Luke Cage where like there's a funeral and they all start monologuing about the future of Harlem huh. at, during the eulogy. Uh-huh. I don't know if you remember this. Huh. The clearly evil mafia guy gets up and he's like, we're going to do something great. We're going to change it. Of course, he just means mm-hmm. drugs and guns and things. And Luke Cage gets up and for like 10 minutes goes, no, I see the future like we always were. And it's like, but it's, it's like 20 minutes of monologue. And I'm like, guys, guys, for once, I'm, I'm, I actually would, want, would like somebody to get punched in the face. <laughs> like, like, right now. Stop the eulogizing, the, the, the monologuing. Just go. A little, little too much feelings. And, and of course, I mean, the whole thing is unbelievable. But funerals especially, it, it's weird how Hollywood likes to make a funeral into a opportunity for a monologue and, and this idea that people share and they get political in funerals i mean if they did it realistically it would just be 20 minutes of random stories that are you know it just would be a it'd be somebody's painful. cousin who played nintendo with a guy years right. ago that gets up and tells that story not luke cage gets up right. and opines about harlem Right, right, yeah. It's 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 just a chance to uh, have a soliloquy, almost like Shakespearean soliloquy. I mean, you know, t- to the audience and us. But you know, yeah, they just get to pontificate or something. So um, yeah, yeah. I don't remember that, but I did. Luke Cage was, um, and I kind of saw where what well, was weird. They had so many villains, but I both that and Punisher. You kind of like, okay, this person's going to be the real villain. You know, they kind of made it into that local uh, political woman local city councilwoman or something. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that. But yeah. and you kind of wonder all that's going. But um, Well, they, they can't do the high CGI like Ultron. So it's got to be someone who's believably human, but with just a little bit of sci-fi effects. Mm-hmm. So and, and the Defenders bit was good. I don't know if you watched that. Um, no. Daredevil's the best one of them, I think. Daredevil's just yeah. so... I just well, love his Well, a blind ninja. I mean, you can't beat a blind ninja mm-hmm. who has like super sensory perception right well and he's a tortured soul and uh and, yeah. and that's really well even just the blind the blind i mean who I, I forget i think it was i don't know if frank miller came up with it but i know frank miller was the one who really took this over the edge mm-hmm. frank miller of course is from the 300 and uh dark knight return dark knight all those like really earthy gritty ones but the, the idea of blind justice like mm-hmm. like def, like pro, uh Defender by day, but yet a vigilante by night. It's just like a perfect, yeah. like one, two. Yeah, I think forth. he predated that, but Frank Miller's run is considered a classic run from the 80s. Yeah. And uh, there's a great one. I don't know if you read where, um, I think it was called Apocalypse, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I remember. I remember as a kid, I was like, I don't know what that means. But um, <laughs> but yeah, where the. the ironically. Ironically, now. exactly. Yeah. Where, uh, who's the big mafia guy? I mean, literally big. Um, Kingpin, King that's it. He finds out his identity and takes him down, and then he, of course, comes back, and Captain America shows up. But that great bit where there's like an evil general, and they take him down, and uh, Captain America has some line about he was wearing the flag, and Daredevil says, huh, I didn't notice. And you're like, oh, that's so cool, because he's blind, and he wouldn't have noticed. Like, I just, It was just a very chilling moment with that and and yeah playing on daredevil's blindness and, and he, he's got this great catholic background and his mother and and all and and goes to confession and and not sure he's doing the right thing he's kind of like a batman that's um got a conscience in a way that yeah, Batman doesn't yeah. so yeah very very compelling so the guy on the netflix show that played kingpin is a pretty famous actor and he was great 
So I yeah, think he's going to yeah. come back. In fact, I bet they'll do the apocalypse storyline pretty soon. I think you're. I think they will. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the pieces up. are there. All right. Well, another awesome episode. Another one done. Another one done. We'll have to figure out what we're talking about next week. Hey, we should talk about faculty meetings. Let's let's actually live record one live <laughs> lot <laughs> with like the golf commentary. Uh, Ryan is now proposing. It's a very interesting move. He's just proposed a called question, which means. <laughs> which means. That. Oh, that was a beautiful lion. Oh, look at that. Now the uh, emeritus professor in the back. He's he's not looking too happy. Oh. I think he, he's standing up. He is standing up. Oh, he's choke. He's choking. <laughs> he hit the drink. <laughs> or like us on iTunes. Good night, Denmark. We we love you. <laughs>